What's up, everyone? It's your favorite podcast producer, Nick Tricana, here to give you a word from our incredible sponsor over at Element. Listen, you're not getting enough electrolytes or salt in your diet. I see it. Steffi sees it. Hayden sees it. We all see it. Element is an electrolyte drink mix with no sugar, no artificial ingredients, and no BS. Everyone needs electrolytes, especially those on low-carb diets, practice intermittent fasting, are physically active, or sweat a lot. But don't just take my word for it. I mean, the proof is in the pudding. U.S. Olympians, players in the NFL, NBA, NHL, and even our own special forces drink Element. I wouldn't go so far as to say I'm the pinnacle of self-performance, but ever since Steffi turned me on to Element, I've seen vast improvements in my everyday training and recovery. You guys can try Element today with a totally risk-free, no-questions-asked refund policy. And you know what? Because we love y'all so much over here at Hybrid Unlimited, we're going to hook you up with a free sample pack of Element just for you. Each sample pack includes eight grab-and-go packets in a variety of different flavors. All you have to do is go to drinkelement.com hybrid. That's drinklmnt.com slash hybrid. Again, that's drinklmnt.com slash hybrid for your free sample pack of eight grab-and-go element packets. Stay salty, my friends. Now back to the podcast. Lisa, so, I mean, I'm looking at, I was looking at your Instagram before I hopped on here. And, I mean, obviously, I've looked at it before, but I just love your message and how it's centered around empowering women and giving them confidence and sharing little tips that you know seem commonsensical for women like you that are confident in them and themselves that have accomplished a lot of things um but that many other women maybe don't know or aren't as comfortable doing so I love that I love that you're spreading the good work what's your I love that the book that you have behind you, Radical Confidence. Can we talk a little bit about that? Oh, absolutely. I would love to. That's what definitely that my heart. That's kind of where I just spent the last, you know, year and a half of my life pouring myself into the book. So when did you publish that? In May. Okay, so it's recent. Yeah. What, what made you wanna write that book? Who I didn't initially. So my husband actually there was was a literary agent that reached out to my husband right after COVID hit. And they said, would Lisa want to write a book? And so my husband came up to me and he came into my office as I was sitting here working. And he's like, hey, babe, um, the literary agent came and asked, like, do you want to write a book? I was like, oh, that's nice. And he just stood there and he's like, this is a very big, reputable company. Like, you're just going to say that's nice. You're not actually going to take them seriously. And I was like, but babe, who would buy a book from me? And in that moment, it was actually such a wonderful reminder that so often the young girl inside of us, the insecurity that we try to shut out, that we try to overcome doesn't always go. And that became almost the precipice of what the book was going to be about, that so often we think that people have confidence and that's why they succeed. And the truth is, at least for me, it was, I still don't think highly of myself, but I don't let that stop me. And so I was like, that's what the book has to be about. People see, um, you know, the success that I've, you know, had, and they think it's because I feel great about myself, that I've believed in myself. And that isn't the case. And I think so many people are doing themselves a disservice to wait for confidence before they get started. And I was like, that's what this book has to be. It has to be an utter transparent example of how you show up every day when you don't feel great about yourself because I think that's what holds most of us us women back it's not whether we're capable or not it's really about whether we believe in ourselves or not yeah absolutely do you feel like you have areas of yourself that you feel more confident about than others 
Absolutely. And I think that comes over time. Um, one of my favorite movies is The Karate Kid. I don't know if you've seen it, but the whole thing, right, is wax on, wax off. And the kid, he's just waxing a fence and, you know, painting a fence and waxing a car. And he's like, I don't understand why I'm doing this. It's meaningless. But what he learns is, oh, the more you practice, when time comes for it, you're prepared. And so for me, I've just practiced enough to be prepared so that when something comes to me, I have more I have the competence to take it on. And when you have the competence, the confidence comes with it. So there are certain areas of my life now that, yes, I am absolutely confident, like getting in front of the camera. I'm confident in and out, but that wasn't because I started there. It wasn't because I think great about myself. It's because I actually have processed how do I show up every day to get better making that my North Star and then each day saying, was I better today than I was yesterday? And if the answer is yes, then I start to build the competence. And it, like I said, it's the competence that brings the confidence. So for instance, if you would say to me, Steffi, like, all right, Lisa, play us the tune on the piano. I wouldn't have any confidence because I don't even know how to read sheet music. So I'd be like, oh, you know, like you want to talk about me not being confident. That's an area I wouldn't be confident in. But if you ask me, Lisa, how do you set up a studio and how do you get in front of the camera? I can talk you through it because I've done it. I've practiced. I've been there. I fall in my face I've embarrassed myself I've walked away shameful and yet I still show up and over time it's the keep showing up that's allowed me to learn and what I've learned is failure doesn't dictate who I am failure dictates what I've done and that potentially something that I've done was a failure but it doesn't mean I Lisa Billu am a failure and that is the biggest lesson I've learned in everything I've tackled what's been uh, what's been your biggest failure oh my biggest failure I think I would say it was the belief um, that I've had with food and my relationship to nutrition. Um, that was a very unhealthy relationship. And so I, I saw fat as being bad, carbs as being bad. And because I believed it and because I was just good enough to restrict myself, like I told myself this is bad. And so I acted on it. Um, that led to 15 years of bad gut decision-making um, which then turned into the last six years of me struggling with very bad health. And that was all due to the mindset I had about um, food. But even with that, I can still say, like, it, I was so bad, just to give paint a quick picture. For about a year, I could only eat about four ingredients. Ingredients. I could eat beef, I could eat coconut oil, salt, and like, uh, oh, actually, a bit more, five. So chicken and pork. I couldn't eat any vegetables for over a year. I couldn't stand up for longer than five minutes at a time because my gut was so protruded. I had SIBO, I had leaky gut, I had a parasite I couldn't get rid of, I had candida. I mean, you wanna name all the bad things that had happened to me because of my unhealthy relationship with food. It all stacked up on itself. And yes, I can say all of that. And my hair was falling out. My nails were brittle. I used to have that big, thick Greek hair. Like it's so thin now. And I can still say that even though that was still my biggest failure, it was the best lesson I ever learned. And so that is so important to be able to look back at your failures and not feel badly about yourself, to look back at your failures and not beat yourself up, to look back at your failures and say, what can I learn from this horrific thing so that it never happens again, so that I can grow 
and learn from it. And so with everything that happened with my health, it happened at the height of our financial success. It happened when Quest first was announced as, you know, a billion dollar company. We went from zero to a billion dollars in five years. And I thought, oh my God, this, you know, we all think that like, when do you have enough money? My life's going to be perfect. And it was in that same moment that I celebrated that my gut fell apart like you couldn't have even planned it better it was on the day I had the champagne in my hand we were celebrating and it was the fizziness and the alcohol that finally gave my gut up that I just said that was enough and my gut just lit it felt like it exploded now I can still say that was the best day that ever happened to me because I took that immediately and said oh Lisa everything you thought about money everything you thought about success isn't true And it happened at a time where I was still able to see that that it wasn't true. And so now in that moment where I'd fought for 10 years for financial freedom, for success, I realized, oh, the only thing that matters, the only thing that matters is how you feel about yourself. That is it. Mm -hmm. And if I, like I had all the money that I dreamt of and I was waking up every day in pain and that pain led to my hormone change. That hormone change, as we all know, has an impact on your mood and how you feel about yourself. And now all of a sudden that hormones, it was getting me emotional. I was crying and I didn't understand why. And so now I had all the financial success I could dream about. And yet it was the worst I ever felt about myself. So that was the most beautiful lesson that then taught me that my North Star needs to be what fills me up every day, emotionally, what fills me up every day and that gave me the biggest pivot of my life of my career of my focus and I've led the last six years with that as my north star and I've never loved life more than I do now I'm sure the financial security or the financial freedom also allowed you to be able to pursue something that you're passionate about without having to have the the stress of if it works out or it doesn't you know like it's Because I can see that personally as well. Like I achieved a certain level of financial success that allowed me to be able to spend more time on passion projects, be able to um, discover more things about myself, maybe things that I'm interested in or, you know, taking a course here and there, whatever that might be. Absolutely. And thank you for bringing that up because I honestly also think that wealth creation can be beautiful and that we need to encourage other people, especially women, to seek wealth creation because it allows you to have a certain lifestyle where it may be now I can predicate my life on passion, right? For me, it was definitely a pivot of like, okay, well, working as hard as I was, I was working, you know, 18 hours a day, I was just on the grind. Um, or I thought in pursuit of money that was going to give me the satisfaction. And what I realized was that didn't give me the satisfaction. And now I need to um, live a life of pursuit of happiness. But then you have to assess what does happiness mean and how am I going to get there? Um, but I also am the big, a big believer in not having your finances as your North Star. Like it just won't fulfill you up. Everything you think it's going to be, it won't. You think you're going to feel better about yourself because now you have more money and you don't. If you don't feel great from a health standpoint, if you don't feel great about showing up every day and predicating your life based on passion, then how are you going to feel good about yourself? And so that pivot allows me to just focus on something different. Um, now I would still be the person that would be, that would live a life predicated on passion and not financial success. Now I, um, I'm very aware that I have the financial success to be able to say that, but when we were starting Quest and we were building up and we didn't have the financial success yet, I started to realize the way that I was living my life. I wasn't enjoying it every day. I was waking up miserable 
people. Every day I wasn't waking up happy. And so I realized that even the pursuit of financial success doesn't bring you the joy that you want. So how do you, in fact, I will say it so succinctly, success isn't guaranteed, but the struggle is. Success isn't guaranteed, so the struggle is. So you better believe that you should be waking up every single day knowing that the struggle you're facing actually fills you up. Because if you're trying to create impact for somebody, it's not going to be easy. If you're trying to create content that is going to impact people, you're going to face obstacles, you're going to face challenges, and you're going to face problems. Now, why on earth do you keep going? Let me tell you, money will only get you so far. It won't get you up in the morning when you feel badly, when you've got that voice in your head that is saying to you, that is saying, you're not good enough. Don't embarrass yourself. Don't do that. See, no one believes in you. You shouldn't do that. How do you get over that negative mindset? It's going to take a hell of a lot more than just saying, well, you've got the money that's going to be at the end of that rainbow. That won't get you through when you feel badly about yourself. But what will get you through is predicating something based on a mission, based on passion, because now you can show up every day knowing that you can deliver on that. Mm-hmm. But you, can't, you don't know if you're going to deliver on success. You just don't know. There's no guarantee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that I agree with you. That shouldn't stop you from trying to pursue something great and trying to make an impact and trying to ch- chase your goals and your passions. I love that. It reminded me of my favorite quote is each fresh, fresh crisis is an opportunity in disguise. I share <laughs> that mentality with you. It's like, for me, every time something goes wrong, I'm, it's not that I'm obviously, I wish that it would have gone right, but at the same time, I'm also grateful for it because I know that another opportunity is going to come if I look for it, you know, if I apply myself and, and, and think, I know that there's something else that I can make better than what it, whatever was before. Yeah. Um, along the lines of the point that you brought up before, I just didn't want to interrupt you about competence, bringing confidence. Mm-hmm. I love that because I think that the first thing that we have to do in order to be more confident or become more confident in ourselves is identifying the areas that need work and being honest about ourselves and being kind to ourselves that, hey, okay, this is an area that I'm, this is something that I'm not very good at. I'm going to just dedicate some more time for that. And the way that I look at it is you should always be working on your weaknesses, but not neglecting your strengths. Mm-hmm. that's also something that that people forget it's like it's it's fine to take a step back and work on things that you feel in, it's okay to feel insecure I think insecurity is a marker of somebody that wants to be better when you can identify hey I'm not good at this I'm insecure about my public speaking I'm insecure about um, my singing I'm insecure whatever those are all things that it's it's good that you identify and that just means okay just spend more time working on that and then to boost your confidence and your ego also keep working on the things that you are really good at that you receive praise from that you receive love from words of you know encouragement I think that that sweet balance is nice to to have when you're when you're trying to get better at something that makes you uncomfortable or that you feel you don't feel confident confident in yeah I love that and I think that going to your point like it really starts with when people ask me Lisa how do I get the confidence the first thing I say is look think of confidence as the byproduct so what we actually need to focus on right now is what do you want confidence in order to do because that's the key no one goes I just want confidence in and of itself right usually it's you want confidence to do what you want confidence to tell your parents you no longer want to study math and you actually want to be a stand-up comedian right you want confidence to maybe tell your partner you're not happy in this relationship you want confidence to tell your 
boss, hey, I think I deserve a pay rise. Like you want the confidence in order to do something to get to a goal and the life that you want. So I always focus on identify what that end goal is first. And then to your point, what skill set do I need? Because I don't assume that I'm going to be freaking amazing everything, right? So I just go, okay, I want to achieve this. This is my goal. I've identified it. What skill set do I need in order to achieve this goal? And then you identify what that skill set is. So to your point, it could be singing, right? Or it could be playing an instrument. So then go, okay, this is a skill set I need. And now what I do, I love that you used, um, I don't know what, oh God, I don't know what word you use. I use the word like give yourself grace. Um, I can't remember what word you just said. Like, don't judge yourself. Be kind to yourself. I love that. So like now what you're doing is you're being kind to yourself and setting yourself up for success. Like, that's how I think of it. It's like, oh, okay. I've identified I want to play the piano. I've also, I'm being kind to myself and be giving myself grace over the fact that I'm just saying you can't play the piano, which actually is the most beautiful thing you can do. Because now again, you're setting yourself up for success. You're saying, I want this. I'm not there yet. And now what that allows you to do is create a blueprint, a plan of how you're going to get there without the ego involved. So you even said the insecurity, right? The voice in your head that I talk about in the book that I say, now make it your best friend. This voice that is saying you're no good, listen to it. Because now you think of her as being mean, you think of her as being a critic, but what if she can be a coach? What if she can go from being the mean girl to your BFF? That means you have to listen to her and she's saying, you don't know how to play the piano. And so by listening to saying, thank you, you're actually right. And now she's telling you what you need to get better. And so the insecurity, you're allowing her to speak. You're allowing her to actually take space and then say, oh, I have an insecurity over this because I don't know how. Now I'm going to assess and develop a game plan to figure out how I'm going to do it. Now, what I call in my book, Radical Confidence, I call this the no BS, what would it take game? So no bullshit, what would it actually take? to be the best or to get good at playing the piano, right? So we've identified what we want to do. We've identified that I'm not very good at it. And now we're creating a game plan of how I'm going to get good. Like what would life actually look like in order for me to get good at this? And it may be with no emotion involved, I have to sit there and say, Lisa, for you to get really good, let's say I want to be one of the best pianists in the world. All right, Lisa, to be, become the best pianist in the world, you're going to have to practice 18 hours a day for 10 years straight. That means all the dating, you want to have date night with your husband, you can't do it. That means you want to go on two vacations a year, you can't do it. That means that actually, you know what you have to sell, let's say you've got an apartment or you've got a house, you actually have to sell your house because you can't afford to get a piano and to become the best pianist, the keyboard you have right now isn't good enough. All right, no bullshit. What would it take to get good enough? You have to sell your house. You have to use that money to buy a piano. You have to live in a studio apartment. And now you have to practice 18 hours a day for 10 years straight. Now I've just got a game plan. This is no emotion. Remember, this isn't what Lisa wants in her heart. This is just, I've said that this is the goal I need or I want to get to. And I'm saying exactly how to get there. Now, the beauty of playing this whole game and breaking it down like I just did is now you can step back and say, is that the life I want? Because now let's say you don't want that. You're like, well, that doesn't sound like a great day-to-day -day life. I love the dream. I love the idea of being the best pianist, but I've just laid out what it's going to take for me to get there. And this isn't the life. Now the beauty is you don't beat yourself up in a year, in two years, 
best in five years when you look around and you're like, I'm not the best pianist. Because we all know the, the, the voice we're going to say in our head, right? See, I told you you weren't good enough. I told you you can't do it. And it's not that you can't, is that you've chosen not to do what it takes. And there's a big freaking difference. Telling yourself you can't means you're incompetent. means that you're not capable ever of getting to that dream or that goal. But with the breakdown that I've just said is you can make the decision and you can now say, it's not that I'm not competent, is that I've chosen not to get competent in this area. And now mm. you don't spend your life beating yourself up, wondering and wishing why you hadn't ever gotten to that goal. Mm -hmm. That's incredibly powerful. I feel like uh, like you've been you've been hearing to my mind as I as <laughs> been speaking to myself this last couple of weeks. I um I just had a fight, my last fight, and I lost. And obviously, that led me to question a lot of things about my desires, my dreams, my goals, what I want to do with my time, how much effort, like you were mentioning, how much effort I'm willing to put to a certain task. And for me, for example, how you are laying out the, the steps to become a, a pianist, for me to become a professional boxer with, you know, a decorated professional boxer, I need to sell my house, move to LA, train at a, you know, at a shitty small gym with a bunch of young, sweaty dudes from Mexico, probably, uh, spar with a bunch of 12-year-olds that are going to beat me up because they came out of the womb with boxing gloves pretty much. <laughs> um, and yeah, like pretty much what I have in front of me is five years of brutal training, awful sparring sessions, massive amounts of doubts, you know, probably a lot of people who don't think that I can do it. Um, and yeah, I asked myself that exact same question. It's like, I know that I'm not competent right now, but I know the steps that I need to that I need to take in order to get to where I want. And then the biggest question is, am I willing to put myself through that? Am I willing to make the sacrifices that this particular goal requires? Yeah. And, and that's, 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 that's and that's the thing, right? Is like, and the great news about doing that is that that I would urge the no judgment, right? It's your goal. It's your dream. It's yeah. your life. And so if you decide, you know what, it's not worth it. Like, I actually don't want that. I, I think it's the most beautiful thing. Like, I literally would want to stand up and applaud you, homie, because that just means you've assessed. And now you've just been honest with what life do you want? But how many of us set a goal, set a dream, say we want something and then freaking beat ourselves up a year later because we're not there. And mm -hmm. I just think it just becomes a, you just need to play the game. No bullshit. What would it take? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so what I do now is I I and it, this is actually the second important part you need to keep playing the game you can't just play it once and then set and forget because the reality may go let's say for instance you go okay you know what yeah I want to win a fight I want to be you know um one of the best and I know that this is what it's going to take let's say you move to LA and now let's say you do it if you just keep going what if you realize oh this isn't for me I thought I wanted this but now it's not You want to play the game, no bullshit, what would it take? That means you have to reassess what goal you want, right? So you have to start all the way from the beginning and you have to say, okay, I said my goal was this. Is this actually still true? Okay, this is what I struggle with with what you're saying. So I was in grad school, in physical therapy school, and I was finishing my first year. I had done my first clinical rotation and I hated it. I hated the job. I hated the clinical setting. I knew from that moment on that that was not what I wanted to do, but I was one year in 
I was also already making more money than my professors with with hybrid with my side business and you know a big part of me just didn't think that was for me and it was a big challenge and there was a lot of sacrifices school is really really difficult for me and I'm actually glad I stuck with it like even though it wasn't how I wanted to be living my life for that time and it and I knew it wasn't the career that I wanted I'm still glad that I yes overcame the challenge of grad school and 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 finished and finished because I can see myself like in a year for, for example in LA living the boxer life and mm -hmm. it being incredibly difficult and me having those thoughts in my mind okay it's not worth it this is not the way that I want to live my life but maybe it's worth some delayed gratification to just go through those challenging times even when you don't really want to be there for the outcome. Yeah, that's so powerful. And when you're feeling those moments, I think it's really important to assess how you're feeling in those moments and what's what's the driving force because even with everything I broke down it's like oh it's gonna be freaking tough right it's like you, the the no bullshit game isn't so that you feel better about yourself and make it easier it's just so that it gives you utter transparency to what you're going into and what you're committing to because I don't think people actually assess the commitment part they may think oh I can just box five hours a day and I'm good right and so the truth is no 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 you have to go all the way to LA you have to spar with 12 year old you have to get your ego bruised on the daily and that's what it's going to take I'm not saying that's easier that's 10 times harder but at least you know right at least you know what you're getting into and so that's going to be the the one of the key is that I don't judge whether I'm on the right, right path um, based on ease I don't judge that I think sometimes the harder the struggle the better the outcome and so I just the, the process that I go through is this is sucky now, but is my end goal still worth it? Mm -hmm. Right. And so everything comes back to that end goal, which is why you need to assess it. Because even with the prediction of what life you're going to lead, like okay, I have to go to LA, I have to get beaten up by 12 year olds. You may be underestimating it, right? You may be, you may come here and it could be even worse than what you thought. And in that moment, you just go, is this what I want? Is this the no bullshit? Am I willing to do this in order to get to my goal? Not, am I having fun? Not, are you okay? And is this easy, right? And I'm not asking myself any of those questions. Um, but also it is important to assess in those moments because you're right. Sometimes, I think there's two things actually. Sometimes we go, well, I've already spent a year. I can't now go stop, right? And so that becomes actually... It can be problematic if you use that as a reason to keep going, because let's yeah. think in cost fallacy. Exactly. Exactly. And that was exactly what I did. And I break it actually down in my book of how I ended up where I was, where I had told my husband that I would support him. I'd be a, a supportive stay at home wife for a year. That was it. It was going to be a year. He was going to go out. He was going to make some money and we were going to make movies together. And our conclusion was I was going to support him. He was going to go out. It was just going to be for a year. Well, of course, that year, he comes home after, you know, um, nine months. He's like, I just need another year, a year and a half. And I was like, well, all right, I've only, you know, what's a year and a year and a half? Flash forward three years. I just need another year. I just need another year. I just need another year. And all the way along, I started to say to myself, well, what's another year? You've already committed five years. What's another year? You've already committed six. And before I knew it, eight years later, 
I was still sacrificing. I wasn't owning that it wasn't the life I wanted. And it was multiple reasons. One, because of that, like you said, like a pot committed than if you play poker, right? But it's like, well, I've already spent this much. I might as well keep going, which is a terrible idea. Like I would rather keep going in the wrong direction than stop and turn around and go back. Like I want to literally punch myself in the face for doing that. Um, but I was so, so for eight years, I was doing that. And one of the reasons was I didn't want to admit because that becomes an ego thing. Oh my God. Now I have to admit that these decisions that I've made were actually the wrong decisions. That was the ego bruise. I was worried about that. And then it was just like, what if I have wasted all this time? What if I'd wasted all this time? Right. And now it becomes the, like, I I don't want to admit it. I feel shameful because I've told people this is what I was going to do. I fought for this dream. And now here I am fighting for a dream that doesn't make me happy. So you don't want to keep going down a path just because, but to your point, but what if it's just the struggle right now? And in the future, I'm going to be very glad that I did it. It becomes an assessment of why you want to quit in the first place. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you know who Nastia Lucan is, but my husband interviewed her. She was a, um, she's a gold medalist. And my husband interviewed her one day and I was in the audience and I was just listening. And she said that as a kid, I mean, the gymnast, that, that, I don't know if you've seen what they go through. It's crazy what the, um, people put these gymnasts through. And she's like 12 years old and she's going through this crazy thing. She was just really struggling. And she turned to her mom and she's like, mom, I just want to quit. And the mom said, I'm going to make you a promise. You can quit anytime except on a bad day. And when she said that, I was like, oh my God, that's so true. The reason we want to quit is because it's hard. It's not because we still don't want it. It doesn't mean that we still don't want the outcome. It's just that it's hard. It's challenging us. It's challenging ourselves, our beliefs in ourselves. And so after she said that, I was like, that's the motto I'm going to live by. I'm never going to quit when it's hard but I will quit when it's easy and I still don't like it. Mm -hmm. And of course, as a kid, you can imagine exactly what she did on the days that she was doing well, where everyone's like, Oh my God, you're amazing. She didn't want to quit. She was like, I'm I'm the best. I can win in a, you know, a gold medal. So she Mm -hmm. just kept going. So if you just have rules like that, that don't allow your emotion and your ego to take center stage, then to me, it just allows me to give myself grace on the days that I'm struggling to say, yes, this sucks. Mm-hmm. and not beat myself up over it mm-hmm. yeah that's that's a really important thing is is knowing when to quit and why to yeah. quit for the right reasons right it's not because it's getting difficult it's because I don't know maybe I've I've evaluated and assessed realistically the capabilities that I have or how I compare to other people in my industry or in my sport or whatever the reason is like something more kind of like well thought of outside of the emotion of oh I'm feeling like this is difficult or I feel like I can't do it or I'm doubting my abilities there I think there has to be a little bit more thought but at the same time if the conclusion is that you don't that you want to quit you should that should also be something that yourself and society doesn't criticize because I think I think there's a massive stigma around quitting a hundred percent whole winners never quit I've always thought that's such bullshit because I've quit so many things in my life for the right reasons I changed careers in school five times just to try to look for whatever 
I felt like I could be good at and that brought me purpose and that I liked doing and that I could get paid for. You know, I require some time discovery and, and pivoting and changing and quitting, a lot of quitting. In the- fact, Steffi, I think we need to officially change that quote to um, winners know when to quit. Winners know when to quit. Yeah, I love that. It has to be. Because I'm with you. Like, that's when people are just like, oh, my God, talk to me about building quests. I'm like, you do realize I started like seven companies before that. Then no one's heard of. They're totally tanked. Um, mm-hmm. I either quit it or it just wasn't doing well. But like, there were definitely things that I, businesses that I started. And I was like, this freaking sucks. This isn't what I want to do with the rest of my life. So I was like, well, screw it. I'm just not going to do it. And so you quit and you move on. But like, did you learn from it? Did you learn something about yourself? Did you? You learn, like, oh my God, I thought I would love this, but I didn't. Like, for instance, I started a website domain uh, design company. So I love doing design. I love art. And so before we started Quest, we started it. And so I was doing these website designs. I was teaching myself. I like hired a coder. I figured it all out. I did these two websites. And after two, I was really proud of them. And after two of them, I was like, I fucking, excuse me. I'm sorry. I wasn't sure if I, how bad I can swear. I freaking hate this. And I was like, why am I doing it? And I, but I assessed why I hated it. And so I broke it down. I was like, okay, I thought I would love it because it was creative. But one of the reasons why I hate it is because my creativity is being stifled because I'm being creative for somebody else's pleasure. And so because I identified what I was doing, why I didn't like it, why I thought I would and why I didn't, I was then like, oh, okay, so this isn't for you. And then I gave myself the grace to say, I'm not going to do it. And then you want to talk about validation. This is where I seek my validation because I've learned you cannot, it will be so detrimental to all of us that we seek external validation. And so I've got a chapter in my book called Validation is for Parking. And the whole thing is that how do we create the validation within ourselves? So with things like that, where I try something and I hate it, I then give myself the narrative of the validation. I'm the kind of person that tries something and is willing to say, I don't like it and change. I'm, and I can build pride in that, right? So now the pride and the validation I'm building isn't that I stick with something that fails or that I stick with something that I don't like. I build the validation in myself that I'm the person that will acknowledge when I'm on the wrong path. And I build the validation in myself that I'm the kind of person that allows herself to pivot based on the mission and my passion. What's up, everyone? It's your favorite podcast producer, Nick Tricana, here to give you a word from our incredible sponsor over at Element. Because we love y'all so much over here at Hybrid Unlimited, we're going to hook you up with a free sample pack of Element just for you. Each sample pack includes eight grab-and-go packets in a variety of different flavors. All you have to do is go to drinkelement.com slash hybrid. That's drinklmnt.com slash hybrid. So I think that's difficult for a lot of people in a world where it seems like all we're looking for is external validation, right? Like even, and I, I feel like I'm guilty of it to a certain extent as well, when it comes to developing your own personal brand, sadly, to a certain extent, you do have to mold yourself to something that other people would like to see or like to like you to be, or how you let, how, how people prefer to be spoken to, or what people prefer to look at. I think to a certain extent, we all are looking for external validation and, and it, it can be beneficial, but I get what you're saying about not using it as your guide 
right? Like you shouldn't make decisions based on if it's going to make other people happy or if it's going to lead to more likes or if it's going to lead to approval from a specific group of people that you that you want to meet. Yeah, and so I actually thank you for being so honest and sharing that. And I would actually just say, I think of that as different to being of value. So it's like you want, if you're a personal brand, right, you want to succeed, what does success mean to you? Um, and so I don't necessarily equate directly to the success of something. Let's say, for instance, you know, you're like, oh, and if I do my hair like this, that people like more people are going to watch me. And if more people watch me, then I actually get a better deal. That makes sense, right? Like I kind of, because of your goal, everything stems from that. And so it's not necessarily you feel like a better human. You're just rightly so being strategic in getting what you want from um, and reaching your goal. But if you were to say, I don't feel good about myself, I don't feel worthy, I don't feel good enough if I don't get value from other people, that's where I said it's just a dangerous game to play because you're never going to be able to please everybody. And if you only get your validation from external sources, then you are forever going to be um, your your worth is your how you feel about yourself would always be dictated by others. And I don't know how the hell you get out of that. Um, and so what I do instead is I just recognize that it's true and go, okay, right now I'm seeking validation from external sources. Okay. I know that that's a dangerous game because what if someone else is in a bad mood? What if someone else for some reason doesn't like me? Now I feel worse about myself. Okay. I understand that's a dangerous game to play. So how do I, step number one, build validation within myself? How do I control that validation piece? And what am I going to build my validation on? And so for me, when it becomes like, if you're building a business or a brand, it's like, okay, I'm going to feel good about myself because I showed up. Because let's face it, you can't actually do more than just freaking giving it your all. Can you? Mm -hmm. So you go, okay, if I show up today, and I give my all, I'm going to feel great about the fact that I gave it my all. Now, if you don't give it your all, let's say you're training or something, that's on you, right? You can go, oh, I didn't show up. I didn't give all my energy. So why on earth should I feel like I'm the shit if I didn't actually show up and give everything? But if you show up and you give everything and you still get pummeled in the face, you can go, I left everything out. And I can be freaking proud of myself that I left everything out on the table. And that then becomes the failure piece. Because if you fail, are you going to let other people dictate whether you should feel validation over a failure or not? That's, mm. again, a really dangerous place to be. So how do you change the narrative in your head? Because it doesn't, doesn't mean it's not going to sting. I don't want people to think that I'm saying, oh, good, failure will feel great. No, no, failure still sucks. Failure mm. will still feel, you know, you still may get all the emotion of shame and embarrassment. But what do you do in those moments so that you don't let that keep you on the floor so that you don't keep yourself down? How the hell do you use that as a way to get up? And so the thing that I found that I talk about in my book is I just change the way I see myself, what I base my validation on. So now I don't valid, don't base my validation on if I succeed on or fail. I base my validation on if I showed up. Okay, that's one thing. Now, if I fail, how do I mend my ego if you will it's I change my identity I'm no longer the I have the identity of the person that always nails it so for you do you have the identity of the person that always wins mm -hmm. I think that's that's going to 
if you don't win, right? Now your identity has been challenged. And when your identity has been challenged, you hold all this like stuff that comes along with identity. You feel good about it. You feel the validation. Once your identity is shaken, you're screwed. So how do you build your identity on something that is malleable, something that is unbreakable? Have the validation of the identity of the person that always gets up. Have the identity and the validation of the person that learns. So now let's take a scenario. You lose a fight. You change your identity to be the person that learns, the person that always gets up. When you lose a fight, what do you do? You now can be proud of your identity because you're like, my identity isn't on whether I win or lose. My identity is what do I do right now? Mm -hmm. I get back up. Mm -hmm. My identity is when I fail what did I learn from the failure mm-hmm. and now you can face any situation so let's take business for me walking into a room where there are let's say 10 diff- let's just make it really extreme there are 10 men who have 10 years worth of business experience over me now I'm petrified to walk into the room I'm worried about you know like everyone's going to look down on me where am I going to feel good about myself my identity oh my god everyone's looking at me like I don't know what I'm talking about that will all lead to a very unhealthy mindset to a very unhealthy validation of what I bring to the table now that's going to make me not want to walk into the room but now let me change my identity my identity is of the person that learns same situation, 10 men all have 10 years worth of business experience in me, but now I've got the identity of the learner. How do you think I walk into that room? I walk into that room like excited. I walk into that room going, oh my God, tell me, what do you have to teach me? Mm-hmm. I'm not worried about my ego. I'm not worried about what does Lisa not know? Is Lisa going to embarrass herself? Right? All this I did, like thing, the identity in my head that's like, but Lisa, what if you're going to make yourself embarrassed? None of that matters. It's amazing what what a slight change in perspective can do, and how it can change your mindset in a, in a, in a situation. I exactly. definitely want to. I definitely want to go into the challenges of being a woman in a in a leadership position. But first, before we go into that, just last thing on validation. Don't you think that in order to truly be seek your internal validation and, and and have it in a place where it's healthy. Don't you think that you have to have a, a project that allows you to do that? For example, I'm reading a book right now that's called The Body Project. And it talks about how throughout the last 100, 200 years, how specifically women, how women's projects have become more about their bodies and mm-hmm. less about their their value, their skills, their their contributions to society. So, you know, back in the 1800s or the beginning of the 1900s, women were, they were basing their self-worth on how nurturing they were being, you know, whether they were good to their mothers and their fathers, whether they, they were good um, sisters, good friends, they knew how to sew or they were accumulating some sort of like valuable task for the moment. Whereas like now it seems like everyone is so, I'm not going to say everybody, but there is a, a very marked change uh, of, of what women are 
focused on what their what their projects are and i think there's a massive spike on girls seeking validation for the way that they look yeah i mean yeah go ahead oh i just think all of that is true and i don't know how to change that and so for me i'm the type of person that i spend my time and energy working on my own mindset and myself versus trying to change society so i kind of go look there are never going to be everyone that's going to accept you the life that you lead, right? We just, we can accept that not everyone's going to agree with that, the behavior and the moves that we do. So I have to say, how do I build the validation in myself? Because to your point is it can be anything. It can be, um, so in fact, perfect example, for eight years, I was a stay-at-home wife for eight years. Now, as a Greek Orthodox woman, I had all the pats on the back. I was getting validation from my husband who loved the fact that he woke up, his clothes were waiting for him. He would go to work. I would give him a lunch bag. He would come home. Dinner was waiting. I was a really good housewife. And so he loved it. And so, of course, he's given me pats on the back. He's given me the accolades. I come from a very traditional Greek family. So my dad, with a big, thick Greek accent that told me when I was a kid that all I need to do is learn how to cook and clean for my husband and I'll, and I'll be happy. He's given me the validation because he's, oh, see my daughter, see what a great daughter she is, see what a great wife she cooks and cleans for her husband. So you can imagine for eight years, I'd built my identity on being a great Greek wife. And now Quest comes along I get thrown into this new startup company that I was just saying, I'm going to help my husband. That's how I started. Because I was a good Greek wife, my husband and his business partners had an idea and I was going to help my husband. And in that helping, we grew at 57,000%. And so we're growing at 57,000% because I was really the person they were trying to exit another company. I won't bore you with the details, but I was really the only person that was available because I was a stay-at-home wife. So I was like, oh, I'll help you. What do you need? And they were like, oh, just ship a couple of bars from your living room floor. That's how it started. Now, when you're growing at 57,000%, you go from shipping a few bars on your living room floor one day to like two months later, you're shipping from a garage. You get a UPS truck to come and pick it up. And then like a couple of months later, you've now got a warehouse. A couple of months later, you've got 20 employees underneath you. Like it went that quickly. In that growth, in that change, I realized, oh my God, I love this. I love being challenged. I love the life of business. I love waking up every day and not knowing what's going to happen. And I just spent eight years, what I call in my book, purgatory of the mundane, where my life was just mundane enough. It wasn't amazing. I didn't hit rock bottom. And so I I was stuck there for eight years, right? Like the purgatory. And so this jolt, this awakening of this new company made me realize I was living a life that didn't fulfill me. Now, this is where it comes into coming back to your point about validation and identity. For eight years, I had built my identity and validation over pleasing other people, getting the pats on the back from other people. And it always in sacrifice to my own happiness. And so I realized at that point, why I was scared to make a full-time change to no longer be a stay-at-home wife. And I really struggled with it because I was like, I love business. I want to go in. I want to help build Quest. Like, this is so exciting. And yet I was resistant. And when I had to process why I was resistant, it was the realization that I was so worried that if I go into business and fail, how am I going to feel good about myself? 
because I'm leaving behind the validation I was getting of being the good Greek wife. Was your husband encouraging of you participating more in the business at that time? So he would basically, they needed help. And so they were encouraging. Yeah. So it was like, oh, can you help do this? Can you do that? Can you do this? And I was like, sure, I'll figure it out. Sure, I'll do that. I'll figure it out. And it was literally, I would just figure it out. So now we got to the point where we were growing so quickly, I had to make a decision. I could either then step back and they could hire someone because now the company was doing well to take over or I was then going to officially be say, this is my full-time job and I hire someone underneath me. And so it came to this this transition point and I just stepped back and I said, I love what I do, but why am I scared? Okay, because for years I felt good about myself, even though I hate the life I lead, I feel good about myself by people telling me that they need me, by people telling me that I'm doing a good job. But that led to a life that I actually doesn't excite me. So I have a choice. I can keep doing it and know that it's never going to lead to a life that actually excites me. Or I can say I'm holding on to this life because I'm worried of how I'm going to feel good about myself if I fail in this entrepreneurship. And so in realizing it and being so transparent and just acknowledging it actually gave me like an exhale. And now I can just say, okay, so now I know why I'm holding on to this past that I didn't enjoy. How do I use what I understand, which is the identity piece, and build my self-esteem on something else that even if I fail, even if, because this is the concern, right? What if I fail? That I can still feel good about myself. And so I realized I had to lean into it. I had to then realize that I had to change my identity. I had to let go of the old identity that I had of being a great Greek wife and step into this new identity. And the first step was acknowledging it and then talking to my husband about it and then working through how I was going to transition. And so that was kind of the hard piece where I didn't just go in and say, this is me now and everyone has to accept me. It was, okay, this is a transition that a lot of people in my life are going to be impacted by. My husband, for one, my parents, because I said I didn't want children. So now my parents who wanted to be grandparents, that I'm going to break their hearts. So I had to really lay out what the changes were going to be, how I was going to be confident going into them saying, I've decided this but giving the people around me grace to have an opinion, to give them space to vocalize their opinion, but recognize this isn't a debate. So I went in and I said to my family, I'm not no longer going to be a stay-at-home wife. So my mom was like, but I want grandchildren. And I said, okay, give, tell me how you feel. But it wasn't a debate. It wasn't like she was going to change my mind. Now the did husband she know? did she know that it wasn't a debate? So she tried originally. No, so she didn't, right? And now this comes to boundaries. And this is what I really do break down in the book. It's like my boundary was you can leave space to tell me how you feel that maybe you're upset, maybe this is breaking your heart, maybe this is a transition you have to go to. But the boundary is you're going to accept this is the decision I've made. And if I feel like you don't respect my decision, that's where I'm going to back off and say, I cannot have this discussion. And you just have to set. Now, this wasn't easy. All of the, everything that I'm saying, it wasn't easy. I just knew that being a stay-at-home wife wasn't going to be fulfilling. 
I knew that I needed to make a change. I was worried about the backlash with my friends and family. And so I created these stepping stones because it's not confidence. It's my book. It's called Radical Confidence. Is that I create these stepping stones because I feel uncertain, like I'm insecure, right? But I'm creating a path, I'm creating these stepping stones that even when I feel insecure, even though I'm fearful of the backlash, I still do it. And so these stepping stones, so for my husband, the stepping stone number one is to express to my husband that I wasn't happy for the eight years. I wasn't telling him. I had to own that. I couldn't come to him and say, I don't like my life anymore and I want to change. It's like I had to express to him I was unhappy. I then expressed to him the new way, my new identity and why that was going to make me happy. Because if you think of a partnership as actually being a partnership, like if you believe that you that your partner wants you to win, your partner wants you to be happy, you have to, it is your responsibility to explain to them that you're not happy and why this change and this transformation is going to make you happy. And so having processed all of this, understanding why I needed to make the change, but also giving my husband the grace to be a part of that. And so that's why I did. I broke down where I was. I broke down that I wasn't happy. I broke down what new thing I was going to do that was going to make me happy and that I wanted his support. And his response was, babe, what kind of husband would I be if I prioritize clean underwear ahead of my wife's happiness? And so I just laid out what that meant. That meant that I wasn't going to cook for him again. That meant that I wasn't going to do the laundry every week. I was going to do the laundry maybe once a month. And that I wasn't going to cook for him, but I wanted to give him the space and the respect to say, this is going to be a transition. So what do you want as a transition? And the transition conclusion that we came to was, I was going to cook for him seven days a week. The following week, I was only going to do it six days. The following week, I was only going to do it five. The following week after that, I was just going to do it four. And we basically, I, I quote unquote, weaned him off, <laughs> right? Taking care of him. And what that ended up doing was that told him I was going to change. That allowed me time to build my identity in something else, to build my own valid, <clears throat> to build my own validation within myself. It also allowed me to build actually a bond with me and my husband because he saw that I respected him and that he was part of that change. And it also gave him the respect to give him the transition. And he felt that I was showing up as a wife that cared. And that was the biggest thing is that I changed my identity from not being the person that was the best Greek wife that just said, yes, I changed my identity to be the person that showed her husband that she cared about any transition I was going to make. Yeah. How your, how your change in your identity and your day-to-day -day life was going to affect his. Exactly. And now you've got passion for him. Yeah. And now you've got someone who supports you. And the truth is, if my husband said, I don't care that you're unhappy, I still want you to be a stay at home wife, then you better believe that would then be the discussion I would have of like, how can I be with somebody that doesn't care about me? Mm -hmm. But it has to go both ways. It has to go, I have to show him the respect. I have to, even my parents, right? Is that my parents for 30 years, they thought they were going to be grandparents. And here I am coming along I'm breaking their hearts. I'm breaking their dream. And so to dismiss that, I don't think isn't the, the daughter I want to be. 
But the daughter I also wants to be has to stand up for herself. That's so tough. That's so tough. I'm in a similar situation. I feel that, you know, a lot of the decisions I make for my life that would make me happy are not necessarily decisions that my mom approves of or are in line with where she thought or what what she thought I was going to be doing or where I thought I was going to be. And there's I think there's a heavy feeling of guilt as well, because Mm -hmm. it's so much more complex. I was just thinking back when I was in college and, and how you're expected to just pick a career and how permanent that feels. Yeah. And then as you go through your 20s, you realize how complex the decision of of choosing a vocation is because there's the idea of where of what you thought you were going to do when you were 20, choosing a career. Then there's the reality of mm-hmm. the career that you are going to do, the opportunities that are in front of you based on what you're good at and what people need at that point in time. Then there's the idea of what your friends and family thought that you were going to be doing. And there's this like dissonance and complexity of it, of like, how do you even navigate your feelings, your family's feelings, your mentor's feelings, your teacher's feelings, society's perceptions, and 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 choose a path that's gonna hopefully make you feel fulfilled and happy because ultimately that's what life is about, right? Yeah, I literally spent an entire chapter in my book talking about this very thing because my husband, my dad didn't want me to marry my my husband so my husband was American he wasn't Greek Orthodox and I was the first person to ever want to marry out of my culture and so my husband comes asks for my dad's blessing in marriage because I'm very traditional like that and my dad said no and I talk in the book about how I process his feelings how I process my feelings how I handled that situation um and just to kind of give you a flash forward quick brief I literally last week celebrated my 20 year wedding anniversary wow so it is possible to deal with family backlash it is possible to deal with someone who doesn't agree with your decisions um now look obviously I was very blessed that my dad did he could have turned around and said well I no longer want to speak to you again like I understand there were a lot of cultures where family do do that and in the book I talk about how you process having someone else make an ultimatum like that right and to me it does become show I always try and show my parents utter respect and I always try to understand why they have that opinion so my dad came from a tiny tiny village in the mountains of Cyprus And he never once saw two cultures come together and make it work. He never saw a woman get an education. So when, when I wanted to study filmmaking, my dad said no, because he was like, you know, we started to argue. And eventually he was like, well, it doesn't matter in a way you're going to be a stay at home wife. It doesn't matter what you study. Now, so many people, you say that story now in today's society, everyone would be like, he's so sexist. I can't believe, right? But I just go, give the man grace. Think yeah. about where he grew up. He grew yeah. up in a tiny village where his mom and sister didn't go to college. They didn't even go to high school. Why? Because the village was so small. The only people that studied, they chose something like three kids a year to leave the village and go and study. Now, back then, there was no contraception. So they never gave the women the opportunity because there was no contraception they ended up falling pregnant at the age of you know 16 when they got married which was you know back then the arranged marriages so my dad just saw the reality of back then women didn't get an education because they didn't need it because they would end up being at home now look the world has changed 
But that doesn't mean that my dad is judging me. It just means my dad has an old belief system. And that belief system comes from something of what he was shown and taught when he was a kid. Mm -hmm. So if I can just approach my dad's opinions with a grain of salt and say, where is the message coming from? Right? Is the message of someone saying you shouldn't marry this person or you shouldn't do this? Is it for coming from someone that actually has the expertise and credibility? So let's say all of a sudden I'm saying I want to be a filmmaker, which was my dream. And my dad, who doesn't know anything about film, says that's impossible. I can A, understand where my dad's coming from because it's not his world. He saw women that were stay-at-home wives, so I understand why he thinks that. And then B, my dad doesn't know the filmmaking industry. So really, let's face it, why on earth would I ever listen to my dad when he says I shouldn't pursue filmmaking? Mm -hmm. But now you can see that I can take his opinion. I can respect his opinion. I can show him respect. I can show him grace. I can show him space to not dismiss him. Because let's face it, no one wants to be dismissed. Your parents don't want you to come in and dismiss them. Mm -hmm. Your parents want to be heard. They're giving you advice because they care about you. All of these things are true. Mm -hmm. So I take... All of these things, I show them that I respect them. I show them that they are heard. And yet at the same time, I show the same respect to myself by telling them I do not agree. I do not, it is my life. And while I love you, I am going to make this decision. Mm -hmm. And that is how, at least for me, I was able to do things in my life that my dad completely disagreed with. When we first started Quest, the very first words out of his mouth is what the hell do you guys know about protein bars? And the <laughs> truth was, we didn't know anything about protein bars. And so even that, when someone says something, they may be right, Stefan, they, they may be right. But does that mean you shouldn't go after it? No. Going back to where we first started earlier on in the conversation, maybe they're just warning you about something like the negative voice in your head. Mm -hmm. So my dad's saying, what the hell do you guys know about starting a protein bar or what the hell do you guys know about a successful marriage working when you're from different cultures the truth is we didn't know anything and so my dad actually rightly so identified something in us now the beautiful thing is we took his warning and used it as a sign to go okay if this is true how do we make sure we don't get trapped in this so we didn't dismiss him. We didn't go, well, he doesn't know anything. And we didn't take his word for truth. And I, you know, I didn't say, oh, well, my dad must be right. I'm not going to marry my husband or we're not going to start this. I took the advice. I showed the respect. I took the piece that actually I could learn from. I held to my ground and I used all of that as a way to go down the path with my eyes open. And so I looked at the situation with my husband and we said, okay, what are the traps we're about to fall in? Because we come from different cultures. I believe this, you believe this. Okay, great. We need to address that, mm -hmm. right? Like, okay, my dad is saying, you know, we don't know anything about starting a protein bar company. He's actually right. What can we do about that? We can learn, mm -hmm. right? So all of these things that I'm saying, it doesn't, it's never just ignore the person, tell them to shut up and do your thing, girl. No, no, like, actually also won't get you what you want yeah and all of that I really do break down in the book the worst thing is to get defensive when someone has a different opinion than you yeah because there's always something that you can learn from whatever it is they're gonna say but it's hard especially when it's coming from your family your your mom or your dad 
whenever they're giving you their opinion, I feel at least for me that my first reaction is always to, I don't know, I get defensive immediately. Yeah, because you want your parents. And this is one thing, actually, recently, I just had an honest conversation with my dad. I literally just turned to him a matter. I just grabbed his hand. I was like, Dad, you do realize all I want is your approval. Like, like I, I was so honest with him. I was like, you realize that that you saying you're proud of me is literally what I look for as a kid. You know, as your daughter, it doesn't matter how old I am. But I also want you to know that I'm not going to let that in me seeking that, I'm not going to let it dictate my decision making. And so I hope you're proud of me. I want you to be proud of me. And dad, I'm proud of you and I love you, but I'm not going to act on things just because of that. And he kind of just smiled and he was like, I know, you know, and look, that's because I've spent the last 15 years working on my relationship with my dad, working on the transparency, working on the communication. But I totally understand there are going to be situations where parents may not be willing to do that. They may just want to shut you down. And I think in those situations, all you can say is you cannot control them. And did you, as the child, go into the situation with grace, respect? Did you listen to them? And did you show them respect back? And that to me is like, if the answer is yes, and you are still that they're still not on board, they still don't support you. You have to be okay with processing that that is on them. And as a child, you've gone in, you've done everything you possibly can, but ultimately it is your life. And let's face it, just one more thing. If nature takes its course, which we hope it does, your parents will pass away before you. I know we don't want to talk about it. I know we don't want to hear it, but that nature you hope that's the way nature takes its course right and so if that is true and your parents will pass away whose life are you living yeah that's powerful that's powerful I struggle with that I struggle with that concept because uh, I don't know I also think back at when I was 18 19 20 21 and how little I knew about the world and about what I wanted and about what I could do and couldn't do I think it's important to also remind ourselves especially when we're young to allow ourselves to be malleable and welcome welcome that feedback from somebody that has experience that has seen a lot of things yes because at that point in time you really don't know anything and I still I'm 30 I still feel like I don't know any every, everything and I still seek to my mom for advice and and I let her you know I, I hear her opinion and I take everything she says seriously but yeah I think especially when you're young and you and you think you know everything you're even more inclined to want to shut your parents off but I think that's a that's a it's a bad time not to listen to your parents yeah and I think as going back to identity what do you identify what is your identity of being, being the person that's always right or being the person that can actually be open to discover the right answer mm-hmm. yeah building right and so to learn and if you have that it goes back to kind of then you sh- you can and you should listen to your parents and I think that that becomes a welcoming sign for your parents that you're not just trying to shut them down and mm-hmm. so that dynamic starts to become a beautiful ebb and flow of oh okay they are willing to listen but she's still going to be independent and make her own decisions mm-hmm. and so for me that became a great transition with my relationship with my parents mm-hmm. I love that well Lisa I don't want to take too much of your time 
Um, I feel like we need a part two because I didn't <laughs> even get into woman of impact. I didn't even get into the challenges of being a woman in a leadership position. We still have a lot to talk about. So oh, yeah, homie. we should do a round two at some point in the near future. I would love that. And obviously, in the meantime, if anybody wants to, my book, Radical Confidence, literally breaks it all down. And I'm the type of person that I really did try and write it. So it's very tactical because it's so important for us to be able to show up with somewhat of a blueprint so that we don't worry about how we feel about ourselves and that we're not good enough and that we can't do something. It really becomes a this is how you build the confidence. And that is what radical confidence is. I love that. Yeah. Strategies and specific steps amazing exactly thank you so much for your time lisa i really appreciate you thank you my homie take care thank you